0: Don't be afraid to take chances and risks with, you know, not to sound like a cliche, but with your dreams. I think that follow your heart. I love that expression from Steve Jobs, where it's like, follow your heart and your gut. Somehow they both know what's best for you. That's deep down. The best advice I could give anybody is don't take life too serious. Oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation, and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by CBRE. CBRE is the global leader in real estate operations, providing specialized solutions to the world's largest energy, oil, and gas companies, supporting their facilities upstream and downstream, both inside and outside the fence. CBRE's experts deliver strategies that optimize operations, reduce costs, risks, and increase productivity without compromising safety unlock the power of your energy, oil, and gas portfolio with CBRE. Learn more at www.cbre.com forward slash EOG. Before I introduce this week's guests, as always, please leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify. I love reading this stuff and getting feedback from you guys. Also, if you wanted to give Magic Mind a shot, go to magicmind.co forward slash oil and gas industry and use code OILGAS20 for 20% off your order. I started drinking Magic Mind a while back. It's a little 12-ounce shot. All natural ingredients that I usually take like right before I drink my coffee. And I don't need anything for the rest of the day. I'm usually chugging water at that point anyway. But I've become super productive. If any of you actually know me, you know I have ADHD and anxiety. So this has been like a tremendous change in my life. So again, if you want to try that out, it's magicmind.co forward slash oil and gas industry. Use code OILGAS20 for 20% off your order. All right. I'm sitting here this afternoon with Shelby Herchuk, founder and president of Stout Gloves. Shelby, let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry.
0: Right on. Let's do it. Thank you very much for having me on. This is exciting.
1: Yay. Good. How are you?
0: I'm great. I just got back to Canada from being in Texas for two weeks. And you know, it's kind of funny how everything kind of shifts real quickly back to a Canadian mindset from the American mindset. and But I'm very fortunate. We have good contractors and staff on both sides of the borders, great clients on both sides of the borders. And it makes it for an interesting you know, experience when you start really growing and reaching into new markets, especially when it's new countries. And as most of us would know out there, when you're dealing in the United States, every state can be very different as well. So you, you definitely have a A very vast range of clientele, people, and markets to understand and learn about. And I appreciate that because it keeps me on my toes and makes every day fresh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, from what I'm aware, you didn't actually start out in the industry until a little bit later in life. Did you go through that mortgage downturn? (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Because I was right there with you. (laughs) Awesome.
0: Yeah. It's, well, I won't say awesome for everybody. And it certainly wasn't awesome for me in the end. In 2005, I had completed a little bit of online real estate and mortgage courses. And so I was interested in steering my life that direction. And in 2005, the subprime industry was booming. And I fortunately ran into these subprime banks who were looking for account managers. I knew nothing about the industry other than I had this a little bit of book knowledge now. And by just the fortune of meeting somebody in the right place at the right time, I got introduced to a bank that moved into Vancouver, Canada, from San Diego to expand into the Canadian market, and I got hired as an account rep. And in late 2007, the writing was on the wall that we were going to we were going to see a significant, you know, something was bubbling and something was up. I mean, certainly working inside that industry, you knew, for instance, that something was definitely not right. So they start downturns or downsizing starts happening at at that point in time of late 07 and into 08. Now, the fortune of that, the blessing and the curse is that you get laid off. So, you know, you go through a little bit of a few weeks of not loving your particular circumstances. But after that, what happened is that I, I ran... I sent a resume out randomly to a company in New York City and this company, and it was for boards of directors software. And because I was just, you know, engaged in looking outside of the financial market and certainly, you know, had a lot more free time to open my mind up on what other opportunities might be out there. I wrote a long, long cover letter to this individual who had posted this ad for a job in Calgary, Alberta to sell board of director software. And I really did my research and said, this is actually kind of cutting edge. And it could be something that's really gonna be, you know, of serious value to these publicly traded companies. So I send this off. Two weeks later, I'm I get nothing back. And I'm like, you know what? I should follow up probably. And funny enough, <laughs> the universe answered that to me. I when I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, it was a Sunday, and I'm like, I'm gonna follow up with them tomorrow and give this office a call and certainly that Sunday I got an email from a lady in New York saying you know so and so is coming to Calgary he's going to be at this hotel doing interviews he'd like to meet with you and I was like wow okay this is on so I met with him got the job I flew out to New York you know a couple weeks after that and that was one of my first time ever into New York City and into a much larger level of corporate sales and I took the bull by the horns and ran with it now Nevertheless though this company was like any other organization out there at this particular time cuz this was early 2008 by then you had them running and gunning and putting all the pressure on the sales staff to make sure that we were bringing home the revenue they needed in a time when we all knew the financial markets were ultimately crashing or were bound to you know get even worse so it was late September when you know 2008 when we all you know, were affected to some degree by that huge financial crisis. And yeah, and then it was a couple months after that where they just laid everybody off before Christmas. Yeah, I was a loan processor. That was, <laughs> but the experience that comes out of that from, you know, was something that, you know, I'll never forget. It was not only just from a standpoint of saying, hey, you know, you've kind of mixed it with some corporate people inside New York City. You've expanded your range of knowledge in the software side of sales now as well. And I just was very grateful for that. It sucked though afterwards. I was, it affected me real bad. I mean, at that point in time, there was nothing left in the market for a decent job anymore. And I mean, I did. I think that ended up moving out of my house. I probably dropped off a nice car at the dealership.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, That's such a bummer. It
0: is, but you know what? It's wobbling. Worth- it's humbling and it's worth it's you know, it's what all those experiences led me to where I am today. And why I was able to, you know, take the initiative or even have the courage to start my own business and do it in such a way that I was able to bootstrap it, you know. Yeah, slowly. well
1: well, and let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you got to, to eventually be the, you know, president of Stout Gloves. Like how did you get into, you know,
0: gloves? So, yeah, like Fast forward into 2012, in between a few, you know, I'm still had never really come back into finding a great corporate sales job that I really enjoyed. And, you know, like a lot of people probably lost is the best way of putting it in a little bit. But nevertheless, you know, I was still interested in starting my own thing or doing something on my own. One reason is, and I don't I'm happy to at least admit it. I never made a good employee. I was one of those. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs could probably, you know, express themselves as the same when it came down to it, because we're just very passionate. We're very driven and maybe a little bit, you know, ego is one thing, but it's also a little wild, a little wild. Yeah. Like you need to, you want to step outside that box and somebody's trying to keep you in there and it's just like, ah, so you're what happened is that I finally just made the move and I, cause I was working, I started selling to keep, as a job, I was selling industrial supplies to the MRO is what it's also called similar to what Granger does. That's one of the biggest in the market, right? You're, se- you're selling every in- industrial consumable from A to Z inside a huge catalog. And you have these accounts you visit on a regular basis and they're ordering regularly because it is a consumable. They're using it and running out and ordering more. And it was a good job because it definitely, you know, paved the way to where I am today. And what I noticed is that there was just something there for one that wasn't, it wasn't intriguing enough to me to stick around with working with the corporate guys. But I, what I thought, why don't I go out and just kind of maybe do this on my own, take a step back and see if you can take it, you know, like, what, what do you have to lose when you don't really have Much either at that point in time. Right. I still had a son that you know I needed to make child support payments for, and but I was single and I was you know living pretty lean, and so I started in 2012 is when I just I quit the job I was at, and then I started moonlighting a bit through another job I picked up and say so I was doing a little I was selling one product, and then in the side I'd kind of you know. I started looking at some other options into my past where I could pick up some industrial supplies, buy them in a wholesale manner, mark them up and resell them. And what I noticed at that point in time is one thing for sure is that a lot of people wanted to deal with me and my customer service was great. The relationship was obviously in a good place. And so I didn't, you know, I ended up making that shift over to doing exactly that. And I'd, I'd run around to all these supply stores and I'd I'd buy all this product at dirt cheap, like try to get the best deal you possibly can and then go back out there to some people you knew in the industry that were looking for better service. The one thing, you know, I can't take anything away from the the large corporations or large supply companies that have been out there for a long time. They do a tremendous job. That's why they're there already. But for somebody like me, I just didn't have that. I don't fit that mold of their typical employee. And so I just knew that deep down, I could do this myself. I inherited, and this is like, cause literally I lived paycheck, paycheck before then. I inherited five grand through a family member. Right. And that's all I had. And I just said, well, five grand, I can make five grand go a long way actually. Cause I'm, yeah. I'm used to living pretty lean. And so I ended up taking that chance and I rolled with it. And then I was still working a job on the side, but coincidentally because it was so oil and gas based as far as the service companies that I was going to I knew that deep down I needed to try to make a deeper shift into that industry so two things happen in the summer of 2012 I start doing this out of the back of my car I'm selling widgets for instance right it could be anything (laughs) connector to a bolt to safety glasses, to whatever, right? And certainly, as we do know, a lot of these bigger distributors or supply houses do help a lot of the smaller guys out all the time. I mean, the the industry can be quite incestual that way. So it wasn't like I was doing something very new. I was just doing it for myself and acting as my own independent contractor. So the second thing that happened in the summer 2012 is Shell and ExxonMobil come out with a standard for, or a new requirement for impact laws on all their sites, all their, for any facility sites, site work, contractual work, et cetera. And in the Canadian market at that point in time in Western Canada, there was only two big competitors. I know you said you were going to ask me about a competition, competition, <laughs> but the two of them that do exist out here are Watson Gloves and Bobdale Gloves. Nothing but respect and love for those two companies. I even know the people at Watson pretty good and, and have nothing but love for those guys. I mean, it's a company that's been around for over 100 years and has a huge legacy. And shout out to them for, you know, for all their for the way that they progressed, I think through the last two decades as well, especially because the glove industry, where we're leading into here, the glove industry just has changed night and day compared to where it was in the 20th century, there, if you wanna call it that, right? So I get looking at it though, and I go, okay, well, there's gotta be more options in the market. But right now, because my financial background again, I'm like, well, the financial world's still kind of a mess. The Canadian loony and the US dollar are a par. So I can go down south and import pretty easily right now without worrying about a huge, you know, exchange rate issue. So as far as cost goes, and I go down, I go down south, I found by just Googling is Hex Armor. And I call them up and I get the, and I end up getting, somebody puts me in touch with the gentleman that took care of the Canadian market. He was having some issues with the one main big supply house they had up here, distributor they had up here moving their product twofold in, you know, they had, problems, trying to sell the technical side of this product. Okay. That heck, cause Hex armor was, you know, really pioneering and coming out with some of the most, you know, innovative, you know, gloves that we had seen in the place at that point in time. And another thing was, is that they were trying to sell it to, for too much money. So that being said, and when I say too much money, I get it. Why somebody might want to sell that glove for $70 a pair, but when a frac company or a drilling company needs to buy two hundred at one time, they're hoping for a little bit of a deal. <laughs> so <laughs> this, so, and, you know, and I don't. I'll never. So Hex Armor is again I want another company that I'll give you know a lot of love and props to on. Giving me a chance to help them grow their business, I respect them to no end and what they do and continue to do. The gentleman that started that company, I hope one day I get a chance to talk with him because he he seems like he's pro. You know, it seems like we would probably have a pretty good conversation, albeit though we are a little bit of competitors now. So what happens? They set me up, and I remember, and they get you know, and, and it was a pretty hefty line of credit they were willing to give me to start really moving. Oh, in. That's that's cool. But like, if you can do what you say you're going to (laughs) do, and so
1: here's all the faith.
0: (laughs) I happen to be in living locally in central Alberta, and as I still do, actually, my primary residence is in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. So we're all oil and gas service companies around this neck of the woods, right? So, and, and Red Deer's a little bit of a hub for them all. And so I get this first order that I bring in, knowing exactly it's one part number, right? And I do know that I have a couple people that are willing to go after getting my first sample pack and doing my initial sales calls and presentations and so forth. But that first order comes in. I stuff. I got a Kia Sorento at the time. I stuffed <laughs> that thing. And I know if I look deep enough, I'll find the picture still because it just looks hilarious. Then I would dry. I went out doing my fill fulfilling my orders but certainly I bought enough of that product that I had more than you know I I had extra stock and I would just go and I would bang down every service company's doors and ask them to speak to the gentleman or the person involved in per- buying impact gloves and funny enough it was it did become one of the easiest sales gigs I've ever had because if you were working for Exxon or Shell at that point in time you needed to suddenly have those type of gloves on your hand or you were not you know, getting on site. So you would walk into the front desk, you'd say, hey, I'm so-and-so and I'm here to speak to somebody about impact gloves. You would literally see two or three heads pop out of the offices down the halls and say, impact gloves, get in here, right? And people, <laughs> and, and I'm not going to, I won't mention names, but certainly it did look funny when you're, you, you get set up with these guys eventually, but then you start doing, it was a little bit, You know, I was selling out of the back of my car still some pretty big companies. But I was satisfying their need. And the one thing that I did satisfy outside of just, you know, showing up at least with showing up with the gloves in general, was that they wanted to know why they were paying so much for this type of gloves. So and they wanted to know and the one thing I knew that I needed to do was to learn about this technology and the materials specifically that were being used in these gloves so I could at least Give them the knowledge and the, you know, that they needed to understand why they were paying so much for this glove and what every piece of material was going to provide them as far as a better glove. Right. So that helped build the trust, bridge the gap that was there and get the sale made and get these guys to work, not only to keep them on site, but to get them to, you know, to keep their hands safe. That back then though, the challenge that came along with that as well was that they had. You're asking a guy that wore a simple leather fitter's glove or driver's glove or roper's glove at work for on a regular basis to suddenly wear what looked like, you know, something out of the Terminator on their hands, right?
1: (laughs) That's fair. That's a fair Yeah, it
0: was. (laughs) It came with so much grief. And so another thing you could really do is walk down that path with the purchasers or the rig managers or the, you know, whoever you dealt with on trying to help them you know again the best thing about a sale that any sales guy can do is solve a problem right and keep their mind at ease that they're going to be okay so when it came down to it there was a lot of kickback there was a lot of a lot of people that just were not happy with the gloves now that's not just from putting the glove on and having to wear this glove that was a lot bulkier and cumbersome to what they were used to wearing, but it was also how is this material adhering to the environment that they're exposed to, the elements they're exposed to, you know? And in lots of cases, we found it real fast. This is like they're having problems now because that's the wrong glove for the task or yeah. for their application. So,
1: and which I understand a lot of this. Okay. So I'm, Fourth generation oil and gas. My great grandfather's nickname was Nub because he was missing half of his finger. And then my grandfather on my dad's side had no middle finger because it got caught. Oh, man. So as a kid, it's funny because I would ask him to pick up, you know, some change and it would fall out of his hand. But this is how important gloves are. You will lose a finger. If you're not careful, you will lose a finger.
0: The number one injury was hand injuries, right? The number one part of the hand is your fingertips, right? So it's your, it's your pinch points that still cause downtime on the rig or in the, you know, or. Oh, yeah. You got to fill
1: out a whole report. You got to shut everything down and focus on what happened. And
0: Yeah. And there could be the if the guy's got a, a large enough injury, then he's out for a little while. So now are you replacing him? You're putting them on WCB or whatever the case may be. The problems are just getting started from that, from the paperwork. The paperwork's only the first problem, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then the safety record of all these companies as well is something that, you know, especially from where I think ExxonMobil and Shell were saying, okay, wait a second, we're going to start implementing something where we're going to adopt this new PPE being glove protection. So we can, you know, when it comes down to it, when we're trying to offer the best safety practices in the world, we're going to, you know, they were forcing it and now they're going to hold people accountable to saying, okay, well, what's your safety record now? You know, and they were probably doing that for a long time. I'm being a little bit, I'm rambling a bit there, but (laughs) it's certainly, there's two companies that really helped me get going. At that point in time, I'm running around and doing that. And this is what grew. This is how fast it grew for me. So FMC Technologies had moved into Canada via an acquisition of Pure Energy because they wanted into the land game. And then Trican Well Service, which had a lot of equipment down south before 2015 as well. But Trican's huge up here in Canada. And it was just by virtue of meeting the two right people in the Red Deer, Alberta, that loved the product i was selling the price point was good and obviously the relationship was there they trusted me and they gave me a list and put me in touch with every one of their bases across western canada and suddenly it wasn't for sure but suddenly i had multiple accounts to go see out of two companies right two accounts so now I just spireweb from there and i got on my kia sorento i should say my horse but nothing <laughs> it was more of a pony Okay, (laughs) and and I just drove across this province or across Western Canada, just meeting all these people and and doing cold calls wherever I could as well. Like wherever I could, I mean, it was pretty simple, but what happened in at that point in time was that I had now it was progressing into a real business. I was able to quit any side job I had.
1: Awesome. That's always
0: a plus. That's right. And by March, 2013, And you had, you know, outside of just learning the import world, learning your costing, so you made sure you're making a profit, you now were dealing with AR and AP as far as your your financials and accounting goes and so forth. And you're dealing with inventory and, you know, keeping those counts up and managing not as best you can because inventory is one of those things. It's, uh, you know, I don't think there's an answer for it all the time, but... Or for anybody who's really figured out the exact science of inventory, but it's quite the challenge. It still, you know, tends to give us a little bit of a headache. But that being said, you know, I challenged myself to learn business as much as I possibly could. And because I didn't have the time to go back to school, nor do I really want to go back to school either. One thing that I, the initiative that I took was I buried myself in books as much as I possibly can. Yeah, I possibly could. I read, I read, I read, I read. I bought the CDs because I was on the road so much, anyways. You know what? Music actually does get boring after a while.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I agree with that. I do agree with that. I used to commute from downtown Houston to the Woodlands, so yeah,
0: you know, yeah, you won't. Yeah, after a while, I mean, just I needed to be inspired. As any entrepreneur out there knows, it's lonely. Like it really does get lonely. I mean, there's times that you you can't exchange have a conversation with just anybody about what you might be going through because, you know, more often than not, they don't have a clue what you're going through. They can give you this, they can give you some sort of some sort of support, but nothing. What you needed was the support from you know what you can get from an audio book or a real book, for instance, and that does come in the form of. A specific book on financials or a specific book on management or a specific, but even deeper, I say, is how do you get into the leadership books, right? The ones that start, you know, they talk a lot about leadership, but a lot of leadership's also, it veers into that, you know, self help kind of, you know, the vulnerable parts of of being an entrepreneur that we probably don't always like to talk about, where, you know, when you are, you know, struggling in so many ways, whether that's financially, but it's like mentally, emotionally, you're going through things, you're you're exhausted from the travel that you're going through and from, and just from talking all day long.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. No, I totally understand that because I mean, that's exactly what I do for a living. But anyway, speaking of leadership, what is leadership exactly? Exactly to you.
0: Leadership to me is the point where you would, you know, it's more or less giving, you know, you lead by example is probably one of the best forms that I can personally do it. I will be honest with you. I've, you know, I still question myself on leadership. So I'd love burying myself in the leadership books or audios or interviews that people have so I can learn more. I think leadership is a little different, probably, for everybody. It was leadership's also about taking the initiative that I took or the courage that I had to start this business, to learn about the impact gloves and the new glove technology in general that was coming through. Leadership's about giving back and not this was, you know, getting so tied up in chasing money as much when it comes to that. But it's about helping people, right? It's that's what it's about. And whether that's your internal employees it's, or it's your clientele. At the end of the day, it's not easy either to. Oh,
1: and it's especially harder on someone that's an entrepreneur and starting from nothing, which I find the story so much different than someone that just became a CEO over, you know, after working their way up the ladder. You started from nothing.
0: Yeah, it really, you know, that was so to go back into the, you know, the, if I, leadership to me would be how you, Take those chances and those risks that you really don't believe you have an opportunity to make or take. I think with too many people get are not thinking, you know, there's ways that we can live, I think, inexpensively enough and not have to be concerned about keeping up with the Joneses or anything like that if you really want to chase a dream down. So when you had nothing... I mean, all I could do was sell as much as I possibly could and then get that money back into the company and then order more product and go from there and order more product and go from there. It was, you were watching every little bit of your money at, you know, every day. And, but at the same time, you know, I think that naturally I knew that I was helping people on both sides Whether you know, whether it was just specifically to a user's hand or to a company's need or requirement for that type of product in a wholesale manner, But I think, you know, down the line, what happened naturally as well is that it didn't take long for people to see all this progress and want to sit down and have a beer or a coffee and talk to me about how I got started. And it happened really quickly because it was just like, I was like, well, I'm not even that big and I've. (laughs) I don't (laughs) know really what I'm doing yet, but it was humbling because a lot of people were quick to give me that pat on the back and help me, especially from a company standpoint where a lot of these managers were like, you know, they're cheering me on and saying, get out there and keep on going. So
1: Sounds like you were surrounded by great people.
0: I think so. The oil and gas industry was built on these people that, you know, get in the, their trucks in the middle of the night or the wee hours in the morning or whatever their schedule might be, whether that's, a, that's an actual schedule. scale Phil
1: doesn't sleep.
0: You no, know, or what if they're called out in an emergency or, or whatever the case may be, but we're surrounded by those people that when they saw me doing that, it was naturally probably something they remember doing when they got in their own gas game and now they're just fortunate enough too to have a good office job where they don't have to travel as much and they're not in the field like that anymore either so right yeah maybe there was some something resonated with them it was, but all people want in a good office job as way as well though page is they want somebody that sometimes just comes in there and takes their mind off their day for five minutes that's
1: true that's true and for some of us it doesn't really work cuz we're ADHD. So
0: <laughs> Well, I don't know if I agree with that 100%. I mean, it's just another Well, just based off of my experience,
1: I had a corner office and so everybody just kind of like let
0: themselves into my office. So So that's the downside of it, right? <laughs> if somebody cuz you're they're like, "Yeah, let's get in here. Let's talk about Something else, you know. I know exactly where you're going with this one because I'm I'm clearly ADHD as well to a certain degree, <laughs> self-diagnosed, of course. But you know, I think that's what makes this job or this just sales in general so so interesting to me is that I get to have different conversations all the time, or I just get to have a bullshit. You know, you can't just throw up what you're trying to sell onto somebody. There has to be there has to be a it doesn't have to be a relationship. I mean, it's not for everybody. you got to read your clientele as well. I mean, and certainly mirror them a bit. And if the individual that you're talking with is just cut and dry and wants to just, you know, get to the point on things or doesn't have much time for small talk, then you just, you acknowledge that in your head and you do your best. I probably do better as a very extroverted person. I do better with somebody that just wants to chew the fat about, the hockey game or in football game the night before, uh, right? Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Or about some, you know, even if we revere and do a little bit of political talk or a little bit of whatever kind of other, interesting, you know, interesting, you know, situations might be going on.
1: So if you had a piece of it, <laughs> if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be?
0: Don't be afraid to take chances and risks with, you know, not to sound like a cliche, but with your dreams. I think that, Follow your heart. I love that expression from Steve Jobs where it's like follow your heart and your gut. Somehow they both know what's best for you. That's deep down. The best advice I could give anybody is and don't take life too serious either. Like it's, we can get, it's so easy to get caught up in the crap that we hear in the media or the, you know, or certain angles of the industry that you might be working in and the, particularly oil and gas where there's so much negative in a lot of ways or and maybe we're seeing in a negative light. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it, but, but we're fighting back now <laughs> at the end of the day though, at the end of the day, it's only you and you alone that can make or break your life. So that's,
1: that's a good one. If
0: you're going to get caught up in anybody else's shit, or any other kind of, you know, negative out there. You're just holding yourself back from, you know, from what you're capable of doing, I think, or what you could eventually become. This goes deeper into the, your thoughts definitely attract what happened to you in your life. It's like, think positive. positive. things happen. If you, Right naturally that's a good way that i've lived this life i've i really do think that a lot of the stuff that's happened for me has been because i've remained positive through a lot of what has been a challenging decade for me of running this business and i certainly always make you know we support a lot of female initiatives we're looking hard at developing more female-based gloves and other ppe as well and certainly I learned that from just growing up with a single mom and watching her challenges. I have got. I think we have our thumb on the pulse pretty good of, of understanding that there is a huge initiative there. And I'm happy to acknowledge that there's a lot of different manufacturers or brands out there that are all following suit with that as well. And so I think the female industry or the female market for PPE especially is going to be in good hands here in the near future.
1: Oh, for sure. There's already people catering to that, like Red Wing. Boots and Bulwark has an entire FR line. So like we're coming around. Yeah, they are. Slowly but surely.
0: Exactly. And And it's exciting. It is exciting. It
1: it makes me feel better as a female in the industry that other females out in the field are going to be safer because they're not going to be worried about wearing men's clothing, which does not fit a female
0: well. You know what I mean. This, if you want to look back a little bit, and this is specifically on my, you know, perception or opinion on this, is that there it took a long time as well for the industry to even really construct the male PPE equipment properly as well. So, and that was a little bit uh, of a point I was alluding to there, you know, a few minutes back, was that. As soon as they realized, hey, there's a couple great gloves here, but not every glove works for the application of the task that we're trying to complete. And so you had you know, kind of a trajectory of different options being made and more innovation coming in. It's awesome to see. It's a little bit daunting from a buyer standpoint because they're getting too much almost thrown at them. But from an entrepreneurial designer standpoint for myself, I mean, it's like a kid in a candy store. I love, I kind of, I kind of like, you know, (laughs) gloves. I don't even even wear them half the time, but, you know, I definitely, I do all the, I go through all the research and develop myself and then I go into the testing phase, but we keep on expanding and learning new ways to innovate and make the glove better. And that goes into coveralls and other, all the other work apparel as well. There was a moment in time where I think it was a pretty floozy market as far as what was out there. Now in the last decade, and I'll talk for everybody, I think we've seen obviously safety become to the forefront of everybody's mind on how important it is. And we've all listened, I think, now to the users, to the people actually using the products. And we're designing this product and we're coming out with new products or new products or we're designing them and coming out with new options that does align to everybody's body type, everybody's makeup, right? And who they are. The one thing that's always going to be the biggest challenge for anybody when they're designing anything in this life is that there's preference. And that just is something you can't really argue with. Is that if somebody likes a leather glove, they like a leather glove. If they like a mechanic style glove with a velcro strap, that's what they like. That's what you know. You're never yeah. going to get away from the creatures of habit. I mean, those people, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely it's you know I think we're I think the industry's in really good shape as far as where it's going, and I, I'm so I'm pretty proud to where we've come along. We've now you know we have a pretty good footprint in the North American market with respect to our impact gloves and our cut resistant gloves and just our general, our general lineup of utility gloves as well as just expanding all the time. You know, one thing that did, know, to go back to the leadership part of this business is that we focused on branding and marketing really well. I mean, that was part, when it comes down to it, a lot of people can make a glove, but you can't remain sustainable without having Touching, you know, I'll put this as politely as it possibly can because it's just—it's you want to reach out and touch somebody's heart. You want to gain that loyalty that somebody. F- feels like just like when you put on the Nike shoes or the Reeboks or whatever shoe you wear or whatever gym attire you like when you go to the gym what feels best for you feels comfortable makes you feel like you're going to go into that gym and kick some ass today that's what you want with work apparel is the person's putting on that apparel and he's getting to the job site and he's ready to kick ass because he's got a stout gloves on right 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 (laughs)
1: right exactly (laughs) all right so let's get into the rest of the questions and get some
0: more answers from you what book influenced you the most Shoe Dog. That's, Shoe Dog. Uh, Shoe Dog's the story of Nike. The story oh, of. Oh,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I have heard of that before. That's a good one.
0: Amazing. And so, and obviously the original founder of Nike is going to skip my brain right now. Let's, we got to find it out. Phil Knight. Phil Knight. That's who it is. So I listened to this book, all right, because i obviously driving, and, you know, I got into audios more. For one, it resonated in so many different ways with the way that I started the company and problems and successes that I was going through. It was unbelievable to see what they did because we all know that the company that they the challenges they went through were, you know, amazing to where they got to. And we all know that deep down it was somewhere in the nineties where it was the Michael Jordan signing. That one catapulted them into another level of yeah. uh, of apparel. So sure. you know, if I can recommend a book to anybody out there, it's that one for sure when it comes to business.
1: Awesome. So what would you say is your most used business tool? My phone. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel like everybody feels that way, right?
0: <laughs> it's a good spreadsheet is my most used business tool. A great bookkeeper is my most used business tool. If I, can, I can I can agree with that. A good advice for anybody out there that wants to get started. And I learned this. I'll give a plug out to Hopkins Construction in Alberta. The gentleman he gave me, you know, some good guidance when I was getting started because I happened to know him and I from my past job and I was selling them back then and and I told him what I was up to and what I was going to do and you know and he really kind of gave me a little bit of mentorship and whatnot. The owner of this construction company and the one thing he ever said to me is he said get a really good bookkeeper. They will make you or break you.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so let's get back to who's your most respected competitor.
0: I would say for sure in the United States, it would be Hex Armor. In Canada, it would be Watson Gloves. Very good.
1: What is your most important lesson learned?
0: Don't be afraid to fail.
1: Mm, That's a good one, especially as an entrepreneur, because you're going to do a lot of that.
0: Yeah. 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 I Um, mean, if you want me to elaborate on that, I think that the chances... You don't get to a position of reaching some of the successes or mountaintops that you're after without taking some chances and and stumbling along the way. I mean, again, not to sound cliche, but it's how we do learn. But it's also once in a while, those chances and those risks pay off. And eventually what you're hoping for is that you have more wins than you do losses.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. I mean, I see nothing wrong with that statement. (laughs) So why do you think your role now is important to the future of the industry?
0: The energy that I think that Stout loves, you know, led by myself, at least has resonated, I think, in the industry a lot. I think people do see the value that we bring to the table in not only great products, but I think in the form of how passionate we all are about this business, about the brand, because our story behind Stout, when I started Stout, eventually I think we skipped a step there, but you know I started going to Asia and researching and developing products in 2014. But it was 2016 when I launched Stout finally, and I still had no money. I mean, the 2015 oil and gas crash killed me, mm-hmm. and not, not literally, but <laughs> but I knew that if I was going to do this, I was crazy. If I was crazy enough to do this, I needed a really good name that resonated with the consumer, the person, the people I was selling to, and it also backed up who I was or who this business was going to be. And that stout is the act or behavior of a person brave and determined. And that's exactly what I had. That's what I had to move forward and bring this business and this brand to life. And that's what I'm hoping that everybody, when they're wearing stout out there, they feel a little bit more like they've got, they can do whatever it takes to, you know, meet their goals and reach their dreams and all the, you know, all that, you know, fuzzy, warm stuff that we're all (laughs) trying to get to here, think here, you know, on a daily basis.
1: So do you have a favorite podcast?
0: Dak Shepard's Armchair Expert. (laughs) (laughs) I was
1: not, I wasn't expecting that (laughs) because nobody (laughs) said that one yet, I guess. But he's a great podcaster.
0: Yeah. I mean, the little story there. I wasn't into podcasts until I had my daughter. She's four years old now, and we couldn't get her to sleep when she was a newborn. So, me and my wife, my soon to be wife, would get in the car and we started podcasting because that was at least something we could listen to at 11 o'clock at night, driving her around to sleep. Right. And we found Dax twofold. Dax comes off as, hey, ex comedian, actor. I don't want to say ex. He still is a comedian slash actor. This this podcast is blown up for him. I don't think his career is ever going back to acting now, but he <laughs> he really he's an intelligent man first. Oh, he really is. And then he really touches and gets into the heart and minds of all his guests in a way that's different than most other podcasts that I gravitate towards. And I really find that in a way, again, going back to finding good audios to listen to, if I can get a good interview in over a podcast where somebody's can add any value to help me understand certain things or elements in my life, or just listen to somebody else's story and what they might've gone through. And, you know, that's just, I love hearing that. I love hearing people's successes and how they explain that stuff as well. But he just, he has a really good way of navigating the conversation and talking and, you know, kind of relating with his guests really well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I haven't listened to that yet because there's so there have so many on my list and it's hard because, <laughs> you know, I obviously I don't listen to oil and gas podcasts because you are one. I am. I'm two. And that's enough for me.
0: <laughs> what I would say is that if you want to add, give it a chance. We'll find, oh, yeah. We'll find one of his guests that really you know, is really, you're a fan of and take a listen. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And I want to know if you're a fan after that. You got to make okay. sure you know me and let me know.
1: Okay. I will. I will. All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Shelby. If people want to get to know you and or more about Stout Gloves, how might they go about doing so?
0: Well, the website is www.stoutgloves.com. You can also reach out to me at Shelby, S-H-E-L-B-Y, just like the car, at stoutgloves.com. That's probably the best ways to get a hold of us. There is a toll-free number as well to call. You're also LinkedIn too, right? LinkedIn is, yeah. And I think LinkedIn a lot is where, you know, I was able to meet OGGN as well. Although I think there was some events in the Houston market that we attended together as well. Yeah, but LinkedIn is an amazing, you know, site for all of us to get to know each other and follow each other in the development of our own businesses and industries and certainly our own experiences outside of just work. I think, you know, LinkedIn is a great platform for us to be able to share some of our own stories or maybe even, you know, try to let people know what some of your challenges are, what some of your, you know, the successes stuff gets yeah. played on there too, but I think that LinkedIn doesn't get the recognition it deserves either. But if you remember LinkedIn coming from a standpoint of being more like a resume-based platform, yeah, now it's more like a leadership platform, right? It's really really cool how it's made the shift.
1: Perfect. All right. Well, that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door.
0: Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.